And this is taken from John, First uh, John chapter four, uh, beginning at verse seven. Um, and if you are able and willing, could you please stand as we hear God's word? as I am the speaker and God is the one actually uh, giving his word to us, taken from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love uh, because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray and ask that as your word goes out, as we hear your gospel preached to us, that it would penetrate our hearts, that by your spirit you continue to transform us in people who love one another and love our neighbor as you, God, have loved us unconditionally. Please, Holy Spirit, move in and through us this morning, we pray. In the name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. Amen. Well, happy new year. I mean, I think the the word of the day, the week, perhaps even the entire year is goodbye 2020, don't ever come back. You know, stay as far away from me as possible. I don't want to see 2020 ever again, think about it, remember it, good riddance. It's a new beginning, a new time, and hopefully, you know, a new year to reverse everything that's happened. I'm sure you've seen the memes I have. I'm sure you've posted them. Uh, There's so much of just 
frustration of looking back and just wanting to forget the past. And I understand and can sympathize with that. And oftentimes, in, you know, when it comes to New Year's sermons, this actually isn't the first time I've, I've done a New Year's sermon. It's usually you know, talking about New Year's resolutions or this is a fresh start or new beginnings or what do we have to look forward to. And all those things are good. But when I was thinking about this last year, I mean, so much happened. It was like, where do we start? But one of the things I, I, I realized and reflected on is all the things that were happening, we, we were seeing kind of the, the world's true colors. You know, as the world was beginning to fold in on itself over all kinds of issues. I mean, you can kind of just fill in the blank of things that have led people to, to divide themselves to one another, to have malice and dissension and political lines being drawn, camps being formed that if you're not on my side, I have... I want nothing to do with you, and a rejection of those who disagree, or even a, an attempt to remove people that don't agree with you. You know, I was reflecting and thinking about that, and really, it, it, as I thought about it, you know, the, the church, we've, we've been kind of caught up in that, in a way. You know, yes, we're called to, to love, and we've, we've shown that, and God is working in our hearts, but all these issues, you and I have found ourselves being tempted to think how the world thinks, what it means to love and care and accept one another. Whether it's politics, whether it's how we deal with COVID, whatever it is, there's all these things that have tempted us, even with each other, to separate, to just remove ourselves, just not associate or love or care for one another. All of us, myself included, but what does the text say here and what does God call us and John talking about here? He says that as the world turns in on itself in fear and hatred, which it will continue to do, God calls us to love one another with an otherworldly love. As the world turns in on itself in fear and hatred, God calls us to love one another with an otherworldly love. You know, I love the series Stranger Things. I know I'm not the only one here. Seen all three seasons. You know, I know a lot of us are looking forward to season four. I'm a little bitter about season four, but that's another conversation. But one of the things that the concepts and, and, and ideas in the film is there's this other world called the upside down world that these, these kids discover. It's similar to our world. There's the same layout and buildings, but it's dark and it's cold and it's lifeless and they're monsters that roam around and destroy. It's a very dark world. But in the story, it's imposing itself on their world. The monsters are entering into to their environment. So now they're trying to figure out how to stop this from happening. So the plot in each series or each season is around that, the, the upside down world trying to impose itself and infiltrate their world. And I thought about that, not to just put a Christian spin on these kinds of things, but you know, because of sin, once sin entered the world, everything was, was under that death and decay of the fall. The beautiful world that God created that we see in Genesis 
one and two was now utterly affected and infected by curse, death, and sin. That in a sense, although there's beauty, although there's life, although there's enjoyment that you and I can have, we're living in an upside down world. That's upside down from the world that God originally created and certainly upside down from the world and the kingdom that God has for us waiting that you and I are members of for believing in Jesus. A world of bliss and eternity and life and full removal and freedom from sin and death where you and I are gonna worship the Lord in peace and in joy that is just indescribable. The world that we're in now is not that. We still experience sin. We still experience death. We still experience just pain and hardship. And one of the ways we're experiencing that is, is relating to each other, as Brian was talking about. How to, how to care for one another, how to love each other when you and I are bringing our sin and garbage and baggage into each and every relationship. Well, first, the two things we, we want to look at is what love is. How does John define love? And we have to start there. And then the second thing is simply our call to show that kind of love to one another. What is love? And what is our call to show that kind of love to one another? I mean, love is... It, it's the topic of, of everything. We can find it in any public uh, uh, entity, music, film, relationships, apps, social media. I mean, it's just whether it's the absence of love, the desire for love, you know, the presence and the feeling of, of love, you could just find it anywhere and, and, and really everywhere. But we can't go to those places. We have to start with how God sees love and what love means to God. And that's where John starts. He says, love is found in God. In fact, he says something radical. He says, God is love. In verse 8, and he repeats this in uh, verse 16. You know, there are, there are a few words that are associated with God. There's God is spirit. There's God is holy. God is pure. God is just. God is righteous. These are what we call the attributes of God. Things that God displays and are part of his character and nature. And here, John highlights that love is a part of God's nature. It means that everything that God does, as he is just, as he is pure, as he is holy, all of these things are mysteriously operating in harmony. It's one of the beautiful and amazing things about God is that in all these attributes, everything is operating according and in perfect harmony with one another. But here, what John wants us to know is that God is the fountain of love. It's not something that you and I can find the same way here on this earth. We might see glimpses and pictures you know, marriage, there are things that God has given us to enjoy and to experience love. But real, otherworldly love is from God. You know, 27 times John mentions love in this text. It's kind of ridiculous. 
You know, he's known as the, the doctor of love. You know, he, in this text alone, he mentions it more than in all four gospels, including John. I mean, and, and that's just not including this entire uh, epistle. So he's just infatuated by it. And in one sense, it can almost sound like, is, is John having just like a kumbaya moment? You know, or is he holding hands with John Lennon who's singing, you know, all you need is love. That's it. You know, that's, that'll solve all problems. Let's just all come together, one happy family and love. Well, there's some sense that what John is calling us to do is, is to come together in a love, but it's not a love that we can find here. It's, it's, out of, it's literally out of this world. It's a divine love that John is talking about. This love is, is part of God's nature as we often see the way Jesus talks about the Father is, is a relationship of love, that they're united in love and that you and I actually get to participate in that as believers. So the triune God is in harmony with uh, the members of the Trinity and it's a special kind of love. You know, oftentimes the way the world and often we can define love is, is sort of a mutual affection. I do my part, you do yours. We love one another, we care for each other. You know, I do one thing, you do one thing for me. It's sort of a back and forth. But that's not the way we see God showing his love to us. It's not a mutual love. It's not even a reciprocal love that God is responding to our love for him. Because what does John say? It's one of the most beautiful verses in scripture. In verse uh, 10, and he repeats this in verse 19, he says, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It's God who's the one who initiated God is the one in his freedom and just because he wanted to, chose to love us. And what's beautiful about that is, as we know the attributes of God is God is eternal and changeless. So his love is changeless. And what that means is God chose to love you and I before we were even made, before the foundations of the world. God put it in his mind and decided that he was going to love you and me, knowing everything that you and I would do, knowing everything that you and I would be, and the problems that we'd have in life, and the mess that we often tend to make of our own lives, and the sin we'd commit, God chose before the foundation of the world freely, simply because he wanted to, to love you and me. That means that nothing you and I can do or will do will change that or earn that. But that's true because of who God is. God's the one who shows the love to us. But then John goes even further than that. Because even that we could say, you know, it's, it's, it's revolutionary and radical. And, and a lot of people hearing God is love would be like, wow, that's so beautiful. That's amazing. You know, I totally agree. But John goes deeper than that. It's not just this ideological concept. It becomes tangible for us. When God himself, Jesus came, what he says in verse 10, 
and in verse 9, that God sent his son into the world, almost verbatim uh, repeat of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him have eternal life. John repeats that in verse 9. Father sending his beloved son to save the world. And it was because of sin that God did this. Love doesn't deny or just simply put sin to the side. It addresses it. Jesus came to take care of it. Jesus came to offer himself as a sacrifice. This fancy word propitiation is referring back to the Old Testament where God set up a system of sacrifice where animals were offered continually for the sins of God's people. And in fact, there was once a year that it was called the Day of Atonement. You can find this in Leviticus 16 where the high priest once a year would come to the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices to the Lord for the sins of the people. And all this was to be practiced throughout the Old Testament, but it was pointing ahead. It was pointing forward to the final sacrifice that God himself would offer, that Jesus would offer. And this is what the author of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 9 and 10, that Jesus is that high priest who has come and has offered up himself as a once and for all sacrifice. That's what's loaded in that one word. It means to appease the wrath and anger of another through sacrifice. Which means for us is if we're trusting in Jesus, that sacrifice is final and true and you are loved by God. That you are welcomed and accepted by God. There's nothing else that we need to do. There's nothing else that we need to to try to conjure up within ourselves. It's God who's done that for us and it's true for you. And it's a love that we can only know in knowing God. That's why Jesus, uh, John says uh, you must confess and believe that Jesus uh, has come. We must confess that Jesus is uh, the Son of God who offered of himself to save us, as he says in verse 15. This is the beauty of, of, of the Scriptures, the centerpiece of all the Bible. And the, the, the beautiful thing that we like to just continue to talk about because we see Scripture just pointing to this wonderful work of God for us. That God has come to save us. And it's true that you and I are welcomed and loved by God. Throughout the Old Testament, it's looking ahead at that reality. The New Testament is looking back and asking and wondering what are the implications now looking forward of what Christ has done. You know, we as Reformed Christians like to pride ourselves in the theology and doctrine that we have, and we have rich and amazing and just line by line, thorough, you know, dotting our I's, crossing our T's, covering all the bases of just doctrine and theology. And some have said, in fact, I, I read a commentator who said this, that right theology inevitably leads to right practice. 
meaning that I believe all these things. The more I dive into God's word and read these things, just inevitably, it's going to produce in me these things. Now, it's true that we need God's word and that God's word works in us, but simply just affirming these things to be true doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to produce in us the evidence and the work that that God has actually uh, done in our hearts. Even just in our denomination, the PCA, we have a history in the South. You know, as the, the the Presbyterian Church was dividing in the uh, 19th and early 20th centuries. There's a break off into the, the south of the Presbyterian Church existed, and this is where the PCA came from. But the sad reality is, is we have a history of oppression. We actually have an involvement in our denomination or in our, in our history as Presbyterians of the support, whether directly or indirectly, of the ownership of slaves and the segregation of, our, of black uh, Americans. And the sad reality is it wasn't necessarily the liberals, guys who were breaking off and spouting off heresy that were doing these things. It was actually the, the doctrinalists, the guys who affirmed these things. So simply to, to just assume that if we, if we have all this right theology, that inevitably it's just going to produce in us this love needs to be more than that. We need those things. Those things are important and value, valuable, and we uphold those things. But it's more than just affirming. It's abiding. It's understanding. It's meditating on it. It's really just diving into the reality that God loves you even though you don't deserve it. And this is the call that we have to love one another. And really, as John is arguing why we should love one another, he begins this text with saying we ought to love one another. And then in verse 11, he repeats that and he ends this passage talking about why and the fact that we, sh- we, we are obligated to love one another. It's the reality of, of being born of God. It's, it's the fruit that plays out when we are born of God, as John says. This is a category that John uses, this idea of being born of God in the epistle. And in every instance, he's talking, referring to that reality changing us. The reality of being born of God should display itself, should transform the way we act the way we care and love and respond to one another. It's not just simply having faith. It's a faith that is evident. We talked about this uh, with James. It's the clearest way to display that inward reality of God's love for you and me. And he says you ought to love, meaning it's not a, a suggestion. We've... To be honest, we might treat it like it is at times. But John is calling us and God is calling us as a, as a command. In fact, this is the second greatest commandment. Jesus himself says, 
that the first greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says that this sums up all the law and the prophets. So that command to love one another is what is part of summing up along with loving God sums up God's law. And then Jesus says in John 15, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's so transforming and otherworldly that people on the outside are looking in and asking what in the world is going on? How in the world can these people from different backgrounds who are unrelated by blood, who come from different ethnicities, have different ideas, political alliances, how in the world are they getting along? How in the world are they gathering together, worshiping the Lord and showing love and caring for one another? That's what Jesus means. It's so revolutionary and radical. People can't put a category to it. They just wander and, and, and gaze in, in just awe. What is going on with this group? That's why Jesus says, it shows that you are my disciples because it's showing this otherworldly love that God is calling us to. Now the sobering reality, as John says in verse eight, and he says later at the end of this text, verse 19 and 20, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God. And anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For how can he who does not know or does not love his brother whom he sees love God whom he does not see? This isn't the first time John said this. In chapter 2, verse 9 and 11, he says something similar. He who hates his brother is still in darkness. You know, that's sobering and can be scary, but John is not trying to make his, his, his followers think, oh my, my goodness, you know, and just put them in disarray and wonder and confusion. You know, maybe I'm not saved because we all fail in this. I mean, we, all of us fail in, in loving one another. And John is not saying that you need to be perfect in this, but he is saying that if there's no evidence of that, pointing out, and giving us a moment to reflect on ourselves. In what ways am I failing to love? And what does that mean for my understanding of the way God loves me? And the way God has shown that love to me. For John, you can't have one without the other. It doesn't mean that God loves us because we love one another. But it's to show the work that he's accomplished in our hearts. That's why John just seems so extreme to say, you cannot have a love for God and then turn and just totally disregard your brother. And it's a challenge to love. None of us are perfect in this. And we've seen the world just sort of begin to tear itself apart this last year with riots, with political uh, and, and, and the election, you know, fraught with polarization. Having the same worldview or identical values or even a point where there's, there's no room for error with this movement called the cancel culture where if you say the wrong thing, regardless if it's wrong or not, you could be removed 
ostracized, left out. We'll just remove you. We don't even want to deal with you. As one author in response to that said, there's really no room for mistakes in the world. There's no grace. And it's a world where everyone else is the culprit or the problem. And as long as you're on the right side, you are free to tear the other one apart. And as we know in Revelation, friends, this world isn't going to get better. It's not like we're waiting for the year and the time where all of this is, is removed on its own. That as the story goes on, the world is going to continue to do this. As we wait for Christ's return, and it's going to take Christ's return to change that. And you know, it's with all of these things, I know it's complicated, but you and I as the church sometimes gets We've gotten caught up in all of these things. Political disagreements. You know, what did you think about when you heard your family member or your friend or your, you know, even your church family member voted differently than you did? What did you think about them? How did you see them? What words came to mind? Did you change, think about their character or even their faith? Or when the riots were happening and the killing of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Armand Ar Arbery. You know, our black brothers and sisters are crying out and, and pointing out all the injustices they've experienced. What was your response? Was it, a, you know, laying out statistics, black on black crime? I know these things are complicated, but did you listen? Did you consider what was being said? And how have you thought of people who view and deal with COVID differently than you do? That goes for both sides. It's not wrong to have values. It's not wrong to have convictions or political ties or challenge each other or even rebuke each other. All those things are part of being a body of believers, of growing together and learning to love one another. But let's be honest, do we really leave it at disagreement? I mean... Sometimes, yes, sometimes we agree to disagree, but our hearts are too sinful for that. We take that one step further. We take that beyond just simply disagreeing with my friend. We, we start feeling that we need to cut ties. We need to disassociate ourselves with them. We need not hang out with them anymore. And friends, we, we really haven't even addressed the real nitty gritty sins of just being offended by each other. You know, someone just saying something that's hurtful or doing something that's hurtful or painful. And maybe that's something you're holding on to. Maybe even this week, a spouse or a friend or your parent said something or did something that was hurtful. The pain is setting in. You're wanting to withhold that love from them and hold on to that bitterness. And I understand there's a, there's a process of growth and healing and forgiveness that God gives us the space to go on. And you and I are here to help each other with that. You know, our pastoral staff is here to care and love all of you in whatever you're experiencing and the difficulty of loving one another. We're here to help. 
But scripture doesn't allow us to remain in a place of malice, hatred, and dissension. It just doesn't allow it. Ultimately, God is gracious and he gives us time and space. But what ultimately calls us to do is to show the same kind of love that he has shown us. And you know, the beautiful and amazing thing is God doesn't leave us alone in this. Yes, God has come to save us. But as John says, he also has given us his spirit. To continue to work this out in in verse uh, 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Spirit is in us working this out. Continuing, as John says, making this perfect in us. It's a process. It's time. It's prayer. It's meditation. It's wrestling. It's, it's just getting on the mat with it. The Spirit is in us and working through us through the knowledge and understanding of what Jesus has done for us. And it's through his power that we are continually transformed into the image of Jesus. Now, what does that require? You know, it requires sacrifice. It requires giving up. Sometimes giving up our position to be right. Sometimes it means just giving up the pain and desire to inflict that on the other person. Sometimes it means giving up our pride or position or privilege to care, support, and love our brothers and sisters. It requires us to hang in there. You know, I felt it at times when I'm offended. I just want to I just want to leave and get rid of or just disassociate from whoever it was that did that. But God requires us to hang in there to address it to confront it, to forgive the person, to love them as God has loved you, but it requires a commitment. We're all in this together, and God is with us, but he calls us to remain together. And then it requires humility, an understanding the grace that you and I have received. You and I are unworthy of the love that God has for us. Regardless of what we've done, or how bad the other person looks compared, that we think compared to us, that no one is deserving of the love that God has shown you, but he's shown it to you. And he's loved you and he's saved you. And understanding that, we can then show that same kind of love, that same unconditional love to one another. Because we understand. We know we don't deserve this. So we are free to love one another. I'll conclude with this story. You know, many of you remember the time when a man named Dylan Roof went into Bible study Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in June of 2015. And he murdered nine African American followers of Jesus who were so welcoming that uh, Roof actually confessed later that he almost didn't do it. He felt so loved and welcomed by them. He almost didn't commit one of the most heinous crimes we've seen in the last decade. 
It was dark and satanic. But the almost as even more shocking thing is what happened after that. You can actually watch it. I, I, I re-watched it just yesterday. The family of these members, the relatives of these members who were killed, came and stood before Dylan Roof and, and told them that they forgave him. Not denying the pain, not denying the hurt and the removal of these lives that will never be changed in this life. Nor were they denying the justice that he deserved and he was going to face. But they got and understood the grace that they had received, that they were willing to extend it even to a man like that. They got it. They understood the love that God had for them and the love that God would continue to show them in carrying him through this just traumatic pain and believed that that love was for someone like Dylan Roof. It's shocking. It's radical. It's otherworldly. You can't put a category on it using what's around us. That is from God. That's the love that God's shown to us. And if that's not a direct application of loving your enemies, and if that is the way that they have shown the love to someone who ripped apart the things that they love, how much more are you and I called to love one another? Amen. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even though we have standards that we put on one another and on other people, we're tempted to disassociate, get offended and hurt. It's hard to love. Lord, you have shown us an unconditional love. We who are most deserving of punishment and of wrath now have full acceptance before you. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the life that we have in Jesus, that he came for us, he's rescued us from death, and he will come for us again. And Lord, we ask as the world just continues to fold in on itself. We would be a church that loves one another. We thank you that you have blessed us and brought us to a place where we do. People from different backgrounds and political ties and upbringings and faith backgrounds. You've brought us together, united in Jesus and the beautiful community that you're making here. We thank you for the work of your spirit that has made that possible. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to do that, that you would continue to strengthen us, make us more to the image of Jesus that shows such radical love that it baffles the world. We can only do this with your power, with your grace. So we give this to you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.